I don't know, it may just be me, but uh, I really got a feeling like we could catch fire and have a great season, huh? Welcome to Season 7 of the Raise Your Game Show, a podcast that unpacks proven principles and actionable strategies for high performance in sports and business. And now, here is your host, a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of Raise Your Game, Alan Stein Jr. Do you know who I am? No. I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Hey, 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 thank you so much for tuning in and investing your attention with me. In today's episode, I talk shop with Amy Morin, an insightful psychotherapist, a powerful keynote speaker, and the internationally best-selling author of several amazing books, including my favorite, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. She is the host of an outstanding podcast called Mentally Strong People and is a great follow on Instagram at Amy Morin Author. Check out amymorinlcsw.com for info on her courses, newsletter, and keynote speaking. I sure hope you enjoy my conversation with Amy Morin. Let's do it. It's go time. You chose to take an approach of telling folks uh, what not to do, or what if you want to be mentally strong, then don't do these things. Where I feel like we're always living in a society that's telling us to do more stuff and add stuff to our plate. Uh, what was it that made you take that approach? So I was working as a therapist, and I was taught you should really just build on people's strengths when they come in, figure out what they're doing well, and point that out to them and tell them to do more of that. And it seems like a good idea on the surface. But at some point I realized, you know, I'm doing people a disservice if I don't point out those couple of bad habits that are holding them back. And I thought about it similar to if I went to see a physical fitness trainer and they told me to work out more, well, that'd be great, but I'd be awfully angry if they didn't tell me that eating jelly donuts was counterintuitive. I'd much rather not eat the extra jelly donut than run on the treadmill for another hour. And so I thought, you know, if I can just tell people, hey, you have these one or two bad habits that are keeping you stuck, it's probably going to be much easier than to have all of their good habits be more effective. And so many people are already overwhelmed. I was one of them with a long to-do list. And I know whenever I've been in a rough place in my life, the last thing I wanted was a list of 50 more things I should be doing. Because then you feel guilty when you don't do them. You feel bad and you feel like you're ineffective. And so for me personally, it was really about just identifying how come some people in my therapy office do better than others. And I really realized that people who didn't have certain bad habits bounced back faster. They got through tough times better. They were more hopeful about the future. So it just became something that seemed more doable for me in my own life, but also for people who came into my therapy office to just cut out your worst habit so that your good habits become more effective. It reminds me in my sports training days, uh, we would always say a bad rep takes away more than a good rep adds. And yeah. we'd be real sticklers for perfect footwork or perfect shooting mechanics. Because if you go in the gym and, and you do things incorrectly over and over, uh, at least in basketball, you become good at bad shooting. And we don't want that. So we wanted to make sure that every rep was as perfect as possible uh, so that we weren't taking away. So I, I love the, the parallel you made between you know, mental strength and, and physical health and well-being. Uh, how do you define mental strength? 
So there's really three parts to it. It's about the way that you think, and it's not about thinking overly positive, but it's about thinking realistically. And then the emotional component is the second one. And it's about knowing that you can manage your emotions. And it's not about being happy all the time or trying to force it. Sometimes it's about accepting if you're sad. It's about knowing that you can go through tough, tough times too. And then finally, there's the behavioral component of how are you going to act? What are you going to do? How do you take positive action when you face a challenge? Do you let it stop you in your tracks or do you try to problem solve and overcome it? So it's really about those three things. So often people confuse mental strength with acting tough. They think if I don't have any feelings, if nothing bothers me, if I deny that anybody can hurt me, if I just say I'm good no matter what, that somehow that's strength. But really, it's not. It takes a lot of strength sometimes to say I'm hurting or I need help. Uh, but so often people just think, oh, if I just pretend like I don't ever have any problems, then that means I'm strong. If I don't cry at a funeral, I'm a strong person. No, 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 no. It's okay to embrace those tough emotions in life. Yeah. Well, we know eventually that dam will bust. Exactly. That trying to you know resist it and push it down. It's going to come out at some point. So you might as well uh, let it out at appropriate intervals in appropriate ways and, and certainly feel better. Um, you know, and I love that, the, that you've made that parallel kind of with what people think mental strength is and what it actually is. And, and you said something before that it's not about just acting positive uh, or acting happy. When I'm not feeling positive and people tell me to be positive, I start to build up a resentment. Like it's, yep. it's almost irritating when someone says that because they're, they're showing lack of empathy. And, and I think that's one of the big themes of what we're all going through now in 2020. Um, I almost get a little frustrated when I see all of these social posts just saying, hey, be positive. You know, 2021 is going to be great. As if on December 31st, a light switch is going to change everything. It's like, folks, 2021 is going to start up pretty similar to the way 2020 has been. So we just need to be able to manage those feelings. So talk to me a little bit more about and I don't know if this is called toxic positivity or, or what it is, but, but the role uh, of everyone just saying, hey, things are great. I'm so glad you brought this up because it is this misconception in society that if you just look on the bright side, then you'll get through tough times or that something good always comes out of something bad. And people will say things like, just think positive or like, you know, something good will come out of this. And, and they're cheering each other on in a way, but it's almost like a fake sort of, uh, you know, rah, rah, rah. And that's not helpful. Sometimes it's okay to just acknowledge somebody's in pain. And maybe you don't experience that same level of pain. If we took the pandemic, for example, some people are really struggling financially. They're struggling emotionally. And when we say things like, well, it's not that bad, we're minimizing their emotions. People just want to be validated. You can accept that somebody else is in pain, even if you don't understand it. And you might be able to say, I see that you're hurting right now. That feels a lot better than somebody saying, well, you know how bad your grandfather had it compared to what you have. It just invalidates how people feel. No matter what you feel, that's okay. And I think we would be so much better off if we just acknowledge that, that we don't have to be feeling the same thing as everybody else without, and that's okay. And if somebody else is sad, if they're angry, if they're really frustrated right now, you don't have to try to force them to be happy. But for us, it's uncomfortable. It's hard to sit with somebody who's suffering. It's hard to be to be with somebody who's maybe really frustrated and really sad. So we think it's our job to cheer them up and that will make everything better. But as you pointed out, when somebody you know makes a joke about something, when you're really hurting, it doesn't make you feel better. It makes you feel worse. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I take a lot of that to heart, especially as a father. You know, uh, Obviously, as, as a parent, you, you want to protect your children, but, but I've certainly learned that you know, outside of their physical safety, of course, that, that letting them experience some emotional bumps and bruises and letting them be disappointed, letting them fail, letting them get upset 
uh, as much as that may be difficult in the moment for me to sit with, it's one of the best gifts that I can give them um, to let them be able to work through those things. And I, I love how you brought up that, you know, the last thing we want to do is, is minimize that. And I know for me, I'm naturally very optimistic and I'm naturally a pretty upbeat, positive person. And I've really had to learn how during this pandemic to kind of scale that back and meet people where they are. You know, I, I'm, I'm very thankful. My, my business has been okay. I'm not unemployed. I'm, you know, my, my kids are healthy. I'm healthy. You know, things are going pretty well, but I have to have that empathy that there's a lot of people out there that, that aren't in that same boat. And I need to make sure that I can try to meet them where they are, which I think is probably good practice for leaders to do no matter what, even when there's not a pandemic. Absolutely. I love the phrase is to meet people where they are when somebody else is struggling, that that's okay. And again, it's not our job to always cheer people up, especially with a, with some sort of platitude or statements or accolade or motivational statement we got off of somebody else's Instagram feed. It just feels inauthentic when we're you know, cheering people on when we don't take the time first to understand what their struggles are. Absolutely. Now, do people call you a motivational speaker? I have often folks call me a motivational speaker and, and I'm like, you know, I'm not really here to motivate anybody. I'm, I'm certainly here to teach and, and hopefully offer some, some practical you know, applicable solutions and, and strategies for you, but it's not about motivation. But talk to me about the concept of motivation. I've always felt discipline is probably a little more important than motivation, but motivation is what gets all the shine on Instagram, on social media, you know, this kind of rise and grind, be motivated 24-7 mentality. So talk to me about your, your views on motivation and, and how you use it in your life. I agree with everything you just said. And yeah, sometimes people will call me a motivational speaker or I'll even get the boss every once in a while that will call and say, you need to motivate my employees. Yeah. And I don't have any magic wands that will motivate people if they aren't motivated. But as you say, I can give people skills and tools and strategies that help them. And in my therapy office, we do something called motivational interviewing. And it's about figuring out where somebody is in the stages of change. Are they are they here because somebody else sent them? Maybe their spouse said, you have a problem. So they show up to therapy thinking, I'm here, but it's really my spouse that has the problem, not me. I'm fine whether they're a smoker or they have some sort of bad habit in life. They don't really think they have a problem. Second stage is when people are contemplative. This is when they're like, ah, oh, you know, my doctor said I should lose, lose weight, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm that bad off, but, but here I am because I'm at least thinking about it. When people are, are contemplative, it's a little easier to motivate them or to help them become more motivated. When they're pre-contemplative, you just say, well, what are the effects of what you're experiencing? And let people name those. You don't want to point out, you know, smoking's bad for your health. When you lecture people, that doesn't work. But you can help them figure out, is this causing any problems in your life? Maybe your spouse is angry with you. Does that cause a problem in your life? When they're contemplative, though, it's, they're thinking about the pros and cons. So you can just help raise their awareness even more. What are the pros and cons of changing, but what are the pros and cons of not changing? And again, it's not about telling them what those pros and cons are. It's letting them come up with, the, with their answers. And then the next stage is when people are preparing to make a change. Somebody says, okay, the new year's coming up. I want to get healthy next year. Here's what I'm going to do about it. They're already thinking, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to... Uh, get up earlier, I'm going to go to sleep at a reasonable hour and wake up and work out in the morning, They're coming up with a plan of how they're going to do it. And then the next stage is action when people really dive into it, which we know the first couple of weeks of making a change are the easiest. We feel more motivated in a lot of ways. So it's easier to say, yes, I'm going to do this. And you get to about week three and you're tired. 
and then it's a lot harder to to stay on track and so we also then talk about what do you do when you're in that stage when you don't feel like waking up early anymore and you don't feel like going to the gym how are you going to get there and it's really about helping people identify for them what's going to work maybe they reward themselves maybe they put their sneakers next to their bed in the morning and this is the part where it's really about modifying your environment to set yourself up for success so that when you don't feel like it anymore you'll still have the tools and skills that make it a little bit easier and i've worked with people who have done everything from saying you know i i threw out all the junk food in the house or i hide the snacks uh, in a place where it's really hard to get to so then i at least have to really think about whether i want them or not simple things sometimes make a big difference and then finally there's the, the maintenance stage once they say okay i made the change now, how am I going to keep maintaining it? And then sometimes we fall back and we take a step backwards and helping them stay motivated is really about realizing just because you slip doesn't mean you're all the way back at the beginning. Maybe you just messed up a little, but how do you get back on track and keep moving forward in a way that helps you to become smarter and uh, so that you don't repeat the same mistake? So the way I see motivation for people, it's really about identifying what works for them, figuring out how do you set yourself up for success? And, and knowing that it's not about, you know, if I were talking about smoking, maybe I would be tempted to lecture somebody about the, the health effects. This is so bad for your lungs, but that's not always why people quit. Sometimes people quit because of the financial reason. Sometimes they quit because their spouse nags them too much about it. So they say, I don't want to be nagged about it. So I'm going to quit just to make that stop. But it's about figuring out what works for other people and what motivates them to change, not what I think would motivate them to change. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. How would you like to improve the buy-in and believe-in from every member of your team? If so, you need to check out the newly released StrongerTeam.com. StrongerTeam.com is a comprehensive collection of resources that can be utilized to raise organizational performance from sports teams to Fortune 500 companies by focusing on developing the five C's of a high-performing culture, cohesion, chemistry, communication, collaboration, and commitment. StrongerTeam.com provides you with the tools you need to build a winning organization. Visit StrongerTeam.com to join the movement. Again, I, I tend to be a very natural early riser. Like I love the early mornings, but I also make sure I don't beat people over the head with, you need to be up at 5 a.m. to work out because that's not a good fit for everybody. So I, I love your approach to that. Uh, do you find that a lot of people wait until they hit that proverbial rock bottom to start making some of these changes or to come in to see you uh, to get help, you know, when they've had the heart attack, all right, now I'm gonna start working out and, and eating right, or, you know, I got fired or I'm getting a divorce to start making these changes. Or, or do you see more people kind of coming in when they're just towing that line of mediocrity of, you know, my marriage is okay. My job is okay. You know, my relationship with my kids is okay. What are you seeing out there? And, and how can we get more people that are just kind of towing that line to want to make those changes? So yeah, there's this theory that you really have to hit rock bottom before you make changes in your life. When we talk about it with substance abuse and those sorts of things. But the truth is a lot of times when people hit rock bottom, they're, not, they're still not in a place where they can hear that message or they can't make a change because by then they're in a crisis. Mm. And so it's if, when you've lost your job, it's not a great time to then start thinking, oh, I'm gonna start working on my feelings right now or I'm gonna change this other habit in my life because you feel like life has already fallen apart. So fortunately, we do see a lot of people just when they're sort of unhappy and they think, you know, I could make a change, but that takes a lot of work. I'm not really sure I want to do it. But on the other hand, I'm not really happy with the way things are going right now either. 
So they'll come in just to kind of weigh the options or they'll sometimes people want permission. Like, oh, if I make this move to a new job, is that okay? It, I get less money or maybe the hours are different and, and they just really want some support of, yeah, let's take a look at that. What would that mean? And what are your values in life? Sometimes people know what their values are but they still are hesitant because society says something different about what you should value or who you should be. And so sometimes people just need an outside person to be able to help them notice, okay, well, here's, here's what you're looking at. Here are the options and it's okay. It's up to you ultimately, but what's the price that you're paying? So I think to help people, sometimes it's about saying, well, what are the pros and cons of staying the same? What are the pros and cons of changing? And I love writing things out. There's something about seeing something on a piece of paper that, that helps us. And I also think it's important for people to know, yeah, you are giving something up when you make a change. And so how are you going to do that? So somebody who maybe says, I'm going to start going to the gym one hour every evening after work, but what are you giving up to do that? Maybe it's time with your family. Maybe it's time that you watch your favorite TV show, whatever it is, just, you have to acknowledge that. Cause sometimes people will say, well, I started going to the gym, but it didn't work out because my kids' basketball games are after school and I'm missing out on this and that. So I just am not going to be the kind of person who can work out. Well, it's because they didn't really think about it enough beforehand and figure out, okay, well, maybe going to the gym after work doesn't work for you, but could you get up earlier or can you figure out how are you still going to navigate what's important to you, which is for that's family time. How are you going to fit this into your schedule? When people plan, spend a little bit more time planning, I feel like then they can be much more successful. You know, I don't know if you've read uh, James Clear book, Atomic Habits, but I'm yeah. seeing a lot of alignment uh, with what you're saying and, and what James preaches as far as, you know, creating an environment and creating different systems and, and, you know, doing everything you can to reduce friction for the things that you want to start doing and increase friction for the things that you want to stop. So I, I absolutely love that approach. Um, now, I'm a huge fan of what you do, of your trade, of, of therapy or counseling or whatever the appropriate uh, uh, name is for it. I, I went through it a couple of years when I was going through a divorce. And I mean, I just found it to be so enlightening to help me get in touch with me and improve self-awareness. Uh, but I know there's still a, a stigma attached, especially with males. Uh, I remember at the time, a lot of my friends were like, you know, what are you going to go in there and talk about your feelings? I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do because I can't talk to you meatheads about it. So yes, that's what I'm, I'm aiming to do. Are, are you noticing a trend where it's becoming more, uh, I guess, acceptable, especially in kind of a strong, you know, like the alpha male type mentality? Yeah, for so long, it, there was such a resistance to, to seeing a therapist and our our mental health system didn't help that. We were sort of broken ourselves. It was to the point that, you know, you had to have a, a, a mental illness in order to get your insurance company to, to pay for therapy at some points. And we don't treat, you know, the dentist the same or the doctor the same. You go get your teeth cleaned twice a year, or maybe you see your doctor for a checkup every once in a while. And it doesn't mean that you're, you're weak because you go see somebody and you think, well, why shouldn't I see somebody for my mind too? Your body won't do what your mind doesn't tell it. So you need to have a strong mind. If you want to have a strong body, you want to be healthy in other ways. And I think if anything good has come out of the pandemic, hopefully it's that we're realizing how important mental health really is, mm. that there's been so many more conversations about, gee, when you stay home all the time, your chances of depression increase, or yeah, my anxiety feels better because I'm not leaving the house, but now I'm getting depressed. Whatever it is, I think people are becoming more aware and we're now seeing new options opening up in terms of therapy. You can see a, a therapist online now pretty easily. Whether you want to text somebody or you want to, uh, you want to 
video chat with your therapist. Those are all options. So for people that were scared to walk in the door of a therapy office, it's sort of made it much easier now that you can do it from the comfort of your own home. You don't even have to leave your house. And, and it seems a little more normalized now that we're so used to texting people. Well, why not text a therapist? If you're going to text your friends, you text your family, why not get, uh, get some help from somebody else? And I, I did this thing last year uh, before the pandemic. Actually, I work for um, Very Well. I'm the editor-in-chief at Very Well Mind. And they had me test all the online therapy sites. And so as a therapist, I now got to be the client and I tested them all out to see, well, what's this like? And I sort of had this idea that if you were texting a therapist, it probably wasn't going to work very well because you don't get to sit in an office. You don't get to see their body language. So I was really thinking this isn't going to work. I was completely surprised. I thought this is really an effective way. There's some serious benefits to online therapy. You don't have to wait seven days to meet with your therapist again. You can get feedback right away. In some ways, it's easier sometimes to like send a text message than just to say it out loud with somebody face to face. So I've become a big believer. And, and I think so many other therapists now who have had to use online therapy because of the pandemic are now noticing the same thing of, oh, it's not so bad. There's a lot of benefits to it. People don't have to leave their homes. So sometimes it's more convenient if somebody doesn't have childcare or if they don't have, if they have a really strict work hours and they can't see a therapist during the day. Well, you can communicate with an online therapist at 8 p.m. if you want. And it's also, uh, and I don't mean secretive in a bad way, it's almost a little bit more private too that you could, you could initiate that relationship either virtually or through text and, and not feel the overwhelming stress of, I got to get in my car, drive to this office and sit shoulder to shoulder with someone. Uh, I, I think that's fantastic. I'm so glad to hear those are much more viable options now. What, what are some of the warning signs we should be looking for if a friend or a spouse or a child, you know, especially during this pandemic, that they may be experiencing some, some depression or anxiety or mental health you know, issues? You know, we tend to think depression looks like sadness, but more often than not, it looks more like irritability. And so I think if you have a loved one who just seems to be irritable, angry, frustrated, more than usual, then it's a, it could be a sign. I and mean, granted, a lot of people are frustrated right now, kids that are trying to do remote learning and parents that are trying to work from home with their kids and their whole family. Uh, there's going to be frustrating things. But if it seems to last, if people are having trouble sleeping, if their appetite is changing, if... Um, people just seem to be struggling more than you might expect, uh, then it could be a sign that, that they, there is something going on. Underlying anxiety disorders, depression, the stress of the pandemic is bringing a lot of that out for people. People who had pre-existing conditions, a lot of them are getting worse, but people who maybe didn't have any issues before, all of these life changes are definitely stirring some of that up. So I think it's important to be on the lookout for, for ourselves, but for our loved ones as well. And how would you recommend reaching out to somebody if you feel like they might be experiencing that? You know, um, I mean, obviously everything you've said so far, I mean, you're riddled with empathy and compassion and we talked about meeting someone where they are, but, but how would you recommend kind of initiating that conversation if you feel like something's a little bit off with, with someone you care about? It's tough. It's, it can be uncomfortable depending on your relationship with the person and that other person's comfort level. But I think just striking up a conversation that says, how are you doing lately? And sometimes people are more willing to talk about something external, like say, how's your stress level, rather than how are you feeling, or how are you handling all of this, or gosh, and you might even share some of your own experiences with, I'm struggling right now with all of these things going on, how are you? And when you just make it clear that you aren't just saying, hey, how are you, as a term of, uh, as the way to strike up conversation, but you're really interested, 
people are much more likely to open up and to, to normalize that so many people are struggling right now and talk about your own emotions to say, I'm you know, really a little anxious about this, or I'm feeling kind of sad, or I noticed I'm not sleeping as well. When you just open that door, sometimes people will talk, but to know it often takes more than one conversation, just because you bring it up once doesn't mean somebody's going to open up, but it might at least open the door so that they know down the road, you're somebody that they can talk to if they are struggling. So I would bring it up uh, often and just check in with them. Hey, how are you doing lately? Yeah. And I assume it's, it's appropriate from a business standpoint for, for business leaders to be checking in with their people as often as possible, you know, not trying to pry in their personal lives, but that kind of, hey, how are you handling things? Or, hey, what's on your mind? Or how's it going? But with more depth than just the, the routine, hey, what's up? So I think that that can certainly help from a, a business standpoint and trying to keep that cohesion and keep everybody on your team, you know, as happy and as, as fulfilled as possible. I was just going to say so many business leaders, I think, were like, no, we have to separate, you know, your personal life and your professional life. And the pandemic, I think, has helped people realize they're not two separate things, that the way you feel about everything going on in the world affects how you work. So it makes sense to, to talk to your employees about their mental health as well. Last question for you. What gives you the most fulfillment uh, from, a, from a professional standpoint and all of the work you do? And, and what are some of the steps you take to make sure you don't get burned out. I mean, your entire life is being of service to others. I mean, you serve folks through your writing, through your speaking, through your books, uh, and then obviously through your craft as a therapist. So what steps do you take to make sure you don't get burnt out? Oh, good question. So I guess the most fulfilling thing is when I get an email from people that say, you know, I read your book and it was really impactful. Because as you know, as an author, when you put something out there into the world, it's almost like a one-way conversation. You put it out there and then uh, you don't really know what happens when people read your books. So when you get that feedback, if, whether it's on social media or an email, it just makes me think, okay, this is worth it. Writing a book is hard work, but when you know that it's impacted somebody's life, it just that definitely for me gives me the um, strength to keep going, knowing, okay, people are reading it all over the planet. It's helping people and then makes me want to write another book. And in terms of uh, how do I motivate myself? How do I stay um, healthy enough so that I can keep doing this. Um, you know, I just, I try to live a, as fulfilling of a life as I can. I live on a sailboat most of the time in the Florida Keys, which to me is sort of like the dream life. And, uh, but it's not enough to just say I live on a boat because I work a lot, but also try to make sure I have plenty of fun in my life. I incorporate as much fun as I can to help manage out the stress because it is a stressful job at times. But when I do a lot of fun things and just try to keep the big picture in mind that how do I want to, what do I want to accomplish in life? How am I doing that? Check in with myself often to make sure I'm creating time for friends and family and the things that are super important to me and make sure that I'm having fun while I'm doing it. I'm so glad you mentioned that. <clears throat> yeah, I think fun and free play uh, often get under, uh, you know, utilized in our society. There's so much so much importance to that. Well, thank you so much for your time. I can't tell you how much this meant to me. I know it's going to mean a lot to my listeners. Uh, and certainly, you know, there's gonna be threads of this in the next book, because the stuff you share is, is pure gold. So just thank you so much for all the awesome work you do. Oh, thanks for having me. And now a word from our sponsor. How would you like a free copy of my ultimate 90 day planner and habit tracker? If so, all you have to do is visit allensteinjr.com and subscribe to my tribe. I'll send you the 90-day planner along with two more free gifts, the key themes and strategies I share in my keynotes, and a list of the eight books every leader must read. And by opting in, you'll also receive my monthly full timeout and 30-second timeout email newsletters. 
each of which is loaded with practical, actionable content to help you become the most impactful leader you're capable of. Visit allensteinjr.com to join the movement. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for investing your time with us. I hope this really helped you raise your game. If it did, would you be kind enough to do me a favor? As soon as you hit stop, will you please leave an online rating and review? Feel free to give it five stars and say something like this. That was awesome. <laughs>